Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Hey, it's Neil. I am excited to share beer stories. Hosted by my good friends Misha Smith and Ilinx Violet from Pastor Street Brewing Company. And produced by me at 7 Million Bike Podcast. So check out beer stories here on a Vietnam podcast. It's going to be a special pod swap and we're going to do more of these over the coming months. There will be new episodes every week. This is for beer enthusiasts, not beer snobs. So if you love beer, you'll love this podcast. The link is in the show notes. Go and follow that if you need it and enjoy the podcast. Cheers. Welcome to Beer Stories. This is a podcast where we talk about beers. We tell stories. Our producer is Neil McKay of 7 Million Bikes Podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Lewis Wright. My name is Misha Smith. My co-host to my left, as always, is Alex Violet. Hello, everyone. And our guest this week is the founder of Saigon Cider, Hannah Jeffries. Hi. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Vietnam has a rich beer culture and has done for decades, but cider is new. When craft beer uh, 
have events, we're often included, and so are other cider brands. But it also means that the local market sometimes think we're a type of craft beer, and they're not aware that it's a, a completely different product. I didn't really mean to start a cider company. It was more of a hobby in the beginning. It wasn't really intended initially to be a business. So cider was kind of associated in the UK and still is as a summer drink. I found it unbelievable that I came to a city that's summer all year round and there was no cider. It was unthinkable. They're using the yeast from the, the skins of the apples, but it does come up with a really unique taste and that's what gives it the, the funk as well. You know, whenever you have flavors that you have to describe using a word like horse blanket, that was like one that just got to me. Our name was kind of by accident as well. We started as Peace, Love and Apples, which is our slogan. And the description was, well, what do I call it? Cider? Apple cider? No, I don't want to just stick to apple, so Saigon cider. And then people just called it that. And I mean, that is a bit of a mouthful to order. Can I have a Peace, Love and Apples, please? <laughs> our guest this week is the founder of Saigon Cider. Hannah Jeffries. We're going to start, as always, with a little segment we like to call the hangover check. Hannah, as our guest, you can go first. On a scale of one to ten, how hungover were you this morning? Zero. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. The life of a young mother. Mm -hmm. Alex, did you have any drinks last night? I had, like, maybe two beers. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so with two. <laughs> well, I definitely had more than three beers, but I was going to say, like, three out of ten today. I was feeling pretty good, but just a little sluggish. That's been the hangover check. If you're listening and you want to be a sponsor, reach out. We're looking for someone to sponsor the hangover check. We should get a sponsor like uh, like some kind of hangover remedy. Like if someone was doing... Like beer. <laughs> Hair of the dog. That's, <laughs> that's our recommendation. Yeah, so we're actually not drinking beer because it's so early. This is the earliest we've ever recorded. Sunday morning. Let's get into it. Hannah, I've noticed in the press in Vietnam... Let's just introduce you for a little bit. So obviously, if you're listening for the first time... We're recording from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Alex and I both work at Pastor Street Brewing Company. Our guest, Hannah, like we said, is the founder of Saigon Ciders, which was the first cidery in Vietnam. Yeah, that's right. Cool. And there's been a lot of press in the last seven, eight years about craft beer in Vietnam. And I feel like cider is often overlooked. And you, you were around before us, before Platinum, before Fuzzy, before anyone. Do you feel like cider gets short shrift because it's not respected? By people or because it's just not beer? I think because cider is new to Vietnam, relatively speaking. So Vietnam has a rich beer culture and has done for decades, but cider is new. So being the first is a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. People here didn't know what cider was maybe 10 years ago unless they lived overseas or, you know, very few people were familiar with cider. So it's not so much that it's not respected, but it's not as well known. And that's still one of our challenges today, because with the rise of craft beer and cider has risen at around the same time, maybe uh, not, on, not to the same extent, Vietnamese have become familiar with cider in recent years during the time that craft beer has been rising. So sometimes it's considered a type of craft beer, which is one of our challenges. It, it gives us some exposure in a way because when craft beer have events, we're often included and so are other cider brands. But it also means that the local market sometimes think we're a type of craft beer and don't have that extra reason to, to try it because they're not aware that it's a, a completely different product. So that's one of our opportunities and one of our challenges 
But yeah, I don't think it's about Sidon not being respected. Okay. Just not as not as well known. Yeah. Also, um, you guys started with a venue. Pasta Street started with the venue. So that lets you become known quite fast, I think. And um, I didn't really mean to start a cider company. It was more of a hobby in the beginning. And we had a page and we had a name, but it, it wasn't really intended initially to be a business. It was more experimenting, making cider because I love cider. And, um, you know, making more for friends, sharing it. So whenever someone wanted to interview me, about cider, I kind of said no because we weren't a business and I didn't want it to be a business initially. Awesome. So I have so many questions <laughs> off the back of that. I don't know which one to start with. So now what what's like your if you I mean if you even know, obviously like you said, your distribution, you're not a tap room. So like do you know kind of roughly what the split is on Vietnamese versus foreigners who who drink your ciders? No idea, right? You just <laughs> you just sell them and then whoever buys them buys them. We don't see the end users so much. Right. And when we do it, it's skewed because it will be at an event and, you know, the events attract often one or the other. So it's a bit hard for us to tell as a distribution company. If we had a tap room, I could give you a clearer answer. It's definitely more expats and, and visiting foreigners at the moment. Right. So, I mean, that, that speaks to what you're talking about, about the opportunity. Exactly. So... Vietnamese are definitely, they definitely have a taste for cider. Right. I mean, Vietnamese people love sweet beverages. So, yeah, they do. Yeah. So, and they love fruity things and they love organic drinks, produce. So, there's definitely interest there and it's growing and it can only really grow from here. For sure. Yeah. So, I, that was going to be one of my questions later, but you brought up the, uh, the organic aspect. I noticed that in your marketing. Yeah. Is that important for you? Like, like socially, or is it just like something that you like to promote because it's something that some people will find as like a way in? We only use certified organic produce, so EU level certified. And I'm committed to doing that environmentally. A lot of people don't really understand what, what organic means. They often think it means you're not adding chemicals into your product. Well, yes, that's true, but it starts with the growing. It starts with the land. So... It's a limit on things like pesticides. Even if we couldn't promote that we're organic, and there are restrictions on that until you've actually got the product certified, restrictions in some countries, we would do it anyway because then you're having less of an impact as a business. Ultimately, we want people to know also that the product is organic. And so we do share that. But yeah, for, for things like export, until you've got that stamp on your product, mm. then you can't always you can't always state that it is organic. So just as a starting point for me, maybe you guys could talk a little bit about the difference between brewing beer and making cider. Because, you know, I'm a drinker <laughs> and I know what I like, but I have no idea literally what the what the difference is in the process between beers and ciders. Yeah, it actually, um, I was wanting to kind of loop back to the taproom thing and that it, I think it was very similar for craft beer where beer in Vietnam was insanely popular. Over 95% of the alcohol consumption was beer and right. all of the beer tasted the same. And um, having the, uh, the tasting room, we were trying to explain why this beer is special, why it's different than, than the other beers that you could get at the time 
and and also like tell the story of our company. We thought that was a big part of it as well was the the stories behind it. And, and it wasn't for expats. We knew that if we had craft beer, expats would know what that was. It was for yeah. introducing it to um to locals as like what differentiates it. Mm-hmm. So Misha, your question going back, what differentiates cider from beer? For me, it's not not really a huge difference. It's just where you get the sugar from. I mean, we have fruit in our beers, which would make it technically portion cider, right? And then some ciders, I assume, are probably like fortified with sugar from somewhere else, maybe. Probably. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, they definitely, some definitely are. And it's always seemed like a legal definition that they're different. It's just their they're sugar water that's been fermented <laughs> and not distilled. And, you know, governments say, well, if it came from a fruit, you have to call it wine and tax it. If it came from a specific type of fruit called a grape, you call it wine and tax it this way. And if it comes from a different type of fruit, you call it a cider. Mm-hmm. And then some countries may say it has to have this amount of apple. Or it could be any fruit. And and, and yeah, I'd, I'd actually like to hear your thoughts on that because I see like artisanal ciders and craft beer, in my mind, essentially the same thing. Okay, it's interesting. So to me, cider is where I come from. It's a fermented juice, nothing added, nothing taken away. Whereas beer is predominantly from malt. So even if you add fruits, to me, they're still quite different. But I see your point. Does these days can be anything from like very small apple content back to how we do it, which is 100% juice. And I I like that about cider, just really simple, just fermented juice, that's it. And that's what we stick to. So would you consider like we have a beer that has like, say, a lot of passion fruit juice, right? Mm. So say we didn't use any malt and we just fermented the passion fruit juice. Would that be a cider? It would. It wouldn't taste good, I think. (laughs) I mean, Good you probably you probably have to. Like, passion fruit is very sour. You'd probably end up having to add water and sugar to make it drinkable. Mm. So but, then it becomes more of a hard soda. Are you so are you adding the the passion fruit at the end, or is it? Yeah, you add it at the end. So so then the passion fruit is not really fermented. No. So it's like a fruited beer, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so with cider, yeah, predominantly it's going to be apple juice fermented. But I wouldn't say strictly it has to be apple. It could be another fruit. But I think the the defining factor is that the juice is fermented. So I've really not looked too much into cider. You know, it's always included in, you know, like the beer, like I'm a beer judge. And they always include cider Mm -hmm. at the end, like Mm -hmm. we're judging different cider categories. I just haven't ever signed up to to judge a cider competition before. But I do, I I saw the main categories are sweet and dry. So Mm -hmm. does that mean that you would add juice after the fermentation with some ciders or that it's just the the fermentation has stopped halfway? There's a number of ways to do it, but I would add after. Mm. Yeah, so then you can ferment out clean and then add back some juice to how you want it. Some sweet ciders will have sugar added instead, but we don't do that. Ours don't have sugar added whatsoever. Same for, for the beers, right? Some some of the fruits you had pre-fermentation and some post? Yeah, absolutely. It just depends on okay. the, the level of sweetness that you want to get out of that fruit. Right. And then um, with the passion fruit, right? Like you were saying it's tart. So yeah. we also wanted the sweetness to balance out that sour. Right. Yeah, ferment. I can't imagine how fermented passion fruit juice would go, but I would imagine that one is better added at the end. 
And I would imagine also the sugar content's not that high in passion fruit, judging by the the taste. So it wouldn't really be a juice that you would ferment. So it, something like that is more something that you would add at the end. Whereas something like apple or pear that can be a base has enough sugars to ferment to create the alcohol, still retains flavor. And then if you want if you want it sweeter, then you could add add some juice back in at the end. Or like we do, we add spices as well. So those come after. So when you're thinking about making a cider recipe, right? You said you didn't want to start a business. Were you just making this because this is what you enjoyed drinking and it wasn't available? Exactly. So it was just yeah, so you could have what that. you preferred to drink. So cider was kind of associated in the UK and still is as a summer drink. So I found it unbelievable that I came to a country that is or a city that's summer all year round and there was no cider it was unthinkable I didn't actually drink beer until I came to Vietnam and then I had to get used to it but now I, I love it largely due to the craft beers that I've tried here that's that's really cool I think and when I first had cider in the United States it was a little different there was um there was cider out there but it was like mass-produced like mainstream ciders that just really didn't taste very good and Getting into craft beer, we had friends who were like, oh, there's actually these small cider producers mm -hmm. and started to try ciders for the first time. And shortly after, there was a big interest in like um, reducing gluten from your diet. That, that was just it. Right. All of a sudden, it seemed like it hit and everybody was discovering they had these allergies they didn't know about. And then at that point, it was like, well, cider doesn't have any gluten. And from there, we did, there was just craft cideries popping up all over the place. And it really helped grow that uh, segment, I guess. Is that something that you guys think about or you have customers that think about that here in Vietnam? Yeah, we do get a lot of inquiries about the gluten and cider. Real cider is gluten-free. There's probably some cider beer hybrids labeled as cider in some countries, which obviously are not. So it's a bit dangerous to say, yeah, cider is gluten-free, but ours are. And traditionally they are with no malt. So we do attract that crowd and in the UK as well, I mean, compared to France, I would say UK as a whole is kind of known for the, the bigger brands, the more mass-produced ciders. But where I come from, the region is an apple-growing region, Somerset, which is kind of the heart of traditional cider. So we have all those small cider farms that are making it that way with the, the pure fermented juice, even though the UK is known for bigger brands that are not doing that. But yes, in the UK as well, that's one of the reasons I think it's become popular is the gluten-free attraction. Awesome. And at the risk of getting too technical with this one, I'm just very uh, curious, right? It's all apples. So how do you make that all, all year round? So cold storage. Cold storage, okay. Yeah. Once it's in juice format, then you can store it a number of ways. So then you don't have to rely on the season. And also where we are in Vietnam, there's different seasons in Europe and in Australia and New Zealand. So depending on where you get it, there's there's usually apples available anyway. Oh, that's cool. It probably helps, I'd say, with consistency a lot, too, because you're working maybe with the same batch of juice for an extended period of time. I know that when we're doing fruit beers, we have to get a different harvest each time because we're getting like the fresh fruit. Right. And, and each time it's a little bit different. So any of our beers with fruit, we're constantly adjusting as we get each batch. We're yep. trying to make it taste the same as the last batch, yeah. which isn't necessarily the same amount of juice depending on the time of the year. So Yeah, that's right. So even with the apples, so they come with a different level of acidity. And to be honest, I think that we do make adjustments 
But I think even though the variation from batch to batch is a bit different, I think in the end, people don't necessarily notice that. But yeah, they do, they do vary. And more so with things like our chili and our ginger. The chili especially, you, you cannot ever really set an amount that you're going to put in. You have to try it. You have to add a little bit and then taste it and then add more if you need it. You can't just assume from the start that it will be the same as last time or you could end up making something pretty spicy. Absolutely. I think that's uh, handmade. So, Annie, you mentioned you're from Somerset. Yeah. And you mentioned the like all the cider farms there. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask is like was craft cider a thing back home or would the notion of craft cider be so ridiculous because it's just it's so natural to have these small cider farms that like nobody would think to call it craft cider. It's yeah, no one would think to call it craft, but it is craft by any definition. Yeah. Right? So here you would call it craft um to differentiate that from the more mass produced ones, but at home it's assumed that it's craft. Awesome. And so do you have do you have a favorite cider from back in the day from home that you want to shout out? Or am I putting you on the spot? Uh, I love Pilton Cider Company. Okay. Are they one of the bigger ones? Or are they They're like... not actually. They're growing, but that's from Pilton, maybe you know from Glastonbury Festival. That's the I've heard of the Glastonbury that's, Festival. That's the village where the festival is. Yes. Um and they make Oh, it's not in Glastonbury? No, it's not. Trivia. There you go. They make they make keeved ciders, so very traditional, more like the French what what we would consider to be the French style. But actually, there's a lot of that in Somerset anyway. Mm. Yeah. What is the French style? So in France, cider has to be, as I understand, to be called cider one hundred percent. They halt the fermentation by blocking off the nitrogen by letting the debris raise to the top. So the French ciders are bottled quite sweet, naturally sweet, without any pasteurization, just in the process that they use, which differs to more modern ciders, which would add the sweetness back after. And that's the way we do it in Vietnam, but that's that's largely because of the way we're making in the breweries that we're making in. You would have to do you would have to do, do things that way. You couldn't get too wild in a shared brewery because you would risk infection to other producers there. So it comes with it comes with risks making it that way. Yeah, it's a much more wild fermentation. To be a French cider, the the cider has to smoke Galois and be really snide. <laughs> Good comment. So when you say unpasteurized, are is that the juice going into it is unpasteurized, or the the bottle of cider leaving? With the French ones, yes, both, both, yeah. And with this, with a lot of the ciders made in Somerset, it's the same. That, that's that's really cool. I'm thinking that, you know, there's there's definitely something living on those apples that is specific to exactly. that region that affects the fermentation and gives it this this quality that's like a terroir. Like uh, you can tell it's from this place because they all kind of taste the same with this. These organisms that are just in the wild, naturally there in this region. Exactly. That's it. So then they're not pitching yeast either. As I understand, they're using the yeast from the, the skins of the apples which you just couldn't consider doing in a shared brewery. But it does come up with a really unique taste, and that's what gives it the the funk as well, which I think I love, but I think maybe the market here wouldn't appreciate that. I, I appreciate that. I think um, it, it definitely gives a lot of depth, but it's, um, you know, when, whenever you have flavors like that you have to describe using a word like horse blanket. That was like one that just got to me. I'm like... Manure. <laughs> 
It's like, okay, this, this might not be the, you know, the, the first intro to the category. Right. You might want to work your way up to some more assertive flavors like that. Exactly. Like if you're trying coffee the first time, you might want to put some milk and sugar in it before you just go to straight black coffee. Exactly. So I've made some here in my own facility, my home, using the, the natural yeast from the, the skins of the apples, apples grown in Somerset, actually from a Thatcher's Cider Farm. Thatcher's is known for being a, one of these big brands, but they also make the very traditional real ciders. And yeah, the feedback from people that try it here was that it was a bit, yeah, a bit too funky. Musty? Yeah, musty. Yeah. Barnyard, I think, is the word that <laughs> is for, officially used. For sure. I mean, I've had some beers that had a, that musty aroma that I really liked, yeah. and then some that were a little off-putting. Yeah, I love it too. So people perceive... Asia to love sweet things. Hmm. What I found I with, said that earlier. Was, yeah. Was I being, and, and I think that's... Sorry, we don't want to generalize on this podcast. I think we it's all, true. I think it... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I think it's largely true if if we're going to generalize yeah. this part of the world. They do love to add sugar. They're used to sweet things. It's not criminal to add sugar to your juice, whereas we wouldn't tend to do it. But what I found with those more traditional ciders that I made was whether it was sweet or not wasn't the deciding factor is that barnyard funk didn't go down too well. Right. And I'd love to do some of those. And I've done some small batches in the past and dry ciders as well. And they always have the, the enthusiastic following, but they're at this point not going to be widely popular. Right. So walking that fine line between appeasing or not appeasing, but appealing to the, the really nerdy, like the beer nerds versus like something that's commercially viable. Right, exactly. Those uh, the the fermented flavors, I think too, is just what you grow up with. And I noticed that you know they they might seem crazy out here, but I think like you know growing up, like fermented milk and fermented fruit was stuff you're around all the time. And then coming to Asia, and then like fermented fish is yeah. everywhere. You, you know, like fermented fish shrimp sauce paste. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that is and tofu. Yeah, just different yeah. fermented flavors. I actually enjoy a, a lot of that. But at the first time that I smelt it, I was just like, kind of mm. like, hey, like your body almost says like, this could be dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And like Misha says, it's a fine line between like being taste leaders, wanting to make something that's accepted. But like with you guys probably agree in, in craft beer, just because the market is used to the very commercial lagers doesn't mean that you're going to create a craft beer brand that creates commercial lagers. It's kind of not the point. You want to push boundaries a little bit and introduce people to new things, let them know what it is, why it tastes that way. And not everyone's going to love it, but it will build. I don't want to make anything too unique with the ciders, but I also don't want to come in and make something that's super sweet, like a commercial carbonated sweet pop just because that's what people are more used to. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, specifically for, for us, when we'd launched the uh, the Godwater Craft Lager, you know, we thought it'd be like a nice light option for Vietnamese drinkers. What we found is the Vietnamese people didn't really didn't like, like it. it. Yeah, no, they, they, they want differentiation. When they're drinking craft, they want it to be darker, stronger, more bold flavors. The it's foreigners mostly drinking the light lager at our right. tap room, like, and they love it. Like they drink it up because they're used to having like this. Yeah, but for Vietnamese people, it's like no, no, that's that's a normal beer. We mm. come here because we want the 
something special. Beers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I see with the the Godwater is the you know I, that's a very valid observation that it's more popular it seems with expats than it is with locals. But I think the expats are, are liking it because number one, we use very you know like like you're saying traditional methods. We use all malt and real hops, and we do a very, you know, a high quality fermentation. We're not trying to just increase the yield. We're trying to make it taste as good as possible. And then number two, it's you get to support a brand that you care about. And if you just grew up drinking mainstream white lagers and you don't have any interest to drink anything with flavor, but you do have an interest in buying a product that you care about that comes from people that you care about and want to support, then that's a great option for for those two different reasons. If you're really looking for that flavor intensity, and just want a little bit better quality. Like if the beer gets warm, it doesn't start to taste bad. It just tastes warm and just as good. Mm-mm. But if you have like a lot of, you know, mainstream beers, they get warm and, you know, it's not nearly as good as when they're cold. Right. And there's the novelty factor as well. So if you've been around craft beer or ciders for decades, then the novelty factor is not really there anymore. Whereas for Vietnam, it's kind of newer, more exciting. And I, I think people especially in Saigon, love new things. They embrace new products, new concepts. And uh, the the knowledge about those products is something that they identify when they share their knowledge and why they love that new product that keys into their identity as well. Whereas if you've had that for decades and decades, yeah, you may be less interested. It's more about su- supporting a small brand, like you say. Yeah, so I could see that there's more opportunity to experiment when there's less expectation that you make it taste the exact same way. Like a lot of the crazy things that you do in craft beer have been going on for hundreds of years in different parts of the world. But where you're doing these crazy wild fermentations in parts of Belgium, France, you know, people expect it to taste the way that it always has. And you start saying, we're going to add this fruit instead. And it's like, no, 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 no. You just add this one. This is what we expect. But In the United States, there wasn't like this longstanding tradition of these companies with these unique products that had this sense of place. So the the kind of the world was your oyster as far as what you wanted to make because customers were open to trying all the different things. And I very much see that in Saigon as well. It's really cool to see people that aren't like, no, 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 this isn't exactly the way that we expected it to be the traditional way. I'm looking to explore flavor and try something I haven't had before. Absolutely. They embrace new things. And if I were to take back a a chili cider to a Somerset cider producer, they're just going to laugh in my face. They have done. They were a little more open to the ginger after trying it. But to them, that's kind of blasphemy. Whereas here, people don't have that preconceived idea of the rules when it comes to beverage, in particular cider. Yeah. So I guess that is Maybe you just really define that for me, why I see what you're doing is just, in my mind, very much the same as craft beer is you're breaking the rules yeah. to, to create a flavor that has has a potential market. Like there's somebody that wants to try that and is excited to try something new and you're not going to let the rules stop you from making that. Right. So we stick to we stick to the rules in terms of quality, but we bend the rules in terms of flavor and expectation. That's awesome. Well, that's that's something I'm familiar with. Growing like, you have to know the rules in order to be to be able to break them. That's like, it. you have to know how to do it right first before you can, because otherwise you're just not doing a good job. <laughs> that's a. I mean, there's you know the uh, the craft loggers. You know, I saw a big resurgence in the craft beer community in the U.S. And it was only after people just started throwing massive amounts of hops at a beer mm-hmm. 
And then being like, look, this one has the most hops, the most IBUs, right? And it was kind of like a pushback in that doing these very low intensity flavor lager fermentations were technically difficult. So you had to be a really good brewer because if you made any mistakes, you were going to taste it in the finished product. Whereas right. if you had, you know, this massive amount of like just hops added to each step of the process, it's really, you could have a fermentation that wasn't even close to being good. And a lot of people might not even notice because it's just covered up by these other intense flavors. It's kind of the same with uh, cider in terms of the plain apple cider. You have to get it right. Other other flavors that you can add, like spices or fruits, can kind of mask a problem. But if you are creating an apple cider, it's got it's got to be right. It's got to be done correctly. Otherwise, you will you'll taste it. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, I've definitely seen the same thing in like brewer communities and like, ah, oh, this one doesn't taste for you. Add some vanilla. Yeah. <laughs> Toasted coconut. Just throw it in there. <laughs> for me, that's when you know, like, uh, it, I don't I don't do that. Like that's, that's for me. It's like, if you can't, you know, craft this and put it together and the end result is the intentionality, start over, learn the basics, get, get that done and then add the flavors to amplify it, not to cover it up. That's be right. Like, oh, the beer isn't dark enough. Let's, it's a, it's called a brown ale. There we go. <laughs> How's your porter? It's brown. It's a brown ale then. So speaking of different styles, Hannah, how many different ciders do you produce regularly now? How many different flavors? So we've got our core three, yep. which is the original apple, and then the two I've got today, which is apple and ginger and apple and chili. Very nice. All of them are predominantly apple juice fermented. Mm-hmm. The chili and the the ginger varieties have less than 1% or less than 0.1% of the fresh spice added. Do you have one style that you're particularly proud of or is that like asking you to pick your favorite child yeah so as a mom of two yeah uh, you can't have a favorite okay but the the spiced ones are closer to my heart okay because that's kind of what we're about it's adding something from vietnam and uh so the the ginger and the chili one are more in line with that and Go nicely with the foods here. Like cider is a master pairer anyway, but the spiced ones really came with some of the the Vietnamese foods and mm. Nyao culture. The chili one in particular with fried crispy things, of which there's a lot in Vietnam. And then the ginger with things like uh, sasu and cold cut. So these are the, the three that are in the core range, but you'll probably recall we've done a lot of experimentation in the past you might remember the cashew apple for sure i remember you were a fan i was yeah yeah. i think that's no offense to the current offerings but i think that was my favorite one that i've had really yeah yeah that one was funny that was when we were very much experimenting and had all this cashew apple pulp which i didn't have garden i thought if i put it outside maybe the neighbors will compost that and someone will take it and then for the next 10 days all you could smell in the alley was fermenting cashew fruits but in more recent times the the other varieties that we've done have been collaborations we have a couple coming up with some of my favorite brands here okay open to more as well do you want to tell us about those or is that you keeping that a secret those are probably under wraps for now okay but a few months ago we did a non-alcoholic collaboration with seven bridges they're quite i would say innovative in in many ways. And we did two varieties together, non-alcoholic. At the time I was pregnant, so it was a a fun thing I could get into. I came up with one recipe 
and they came up with the other and then they created the the final batches and sold them through their outlets. So one was a herbal, Vietnamese herbal limeade. So that had the Vietnamese basil, mint, and then rau ram, the, the Vietnamese cilantro, coriander. And then the one that Stanley and Sari's team came up with was a pink guava cream soda. Quite an American spin with the cream soda and then quite out there. Yeah, so I was going to bring this up because Alex is big on the, the no and low alcohol options. Okay. So how like how did it go? What was the what was the response from customers about the the non-alcohol ciders? So we weren't sure how well it would go down because it's sold in a, a place that predominantly people go to drink alcohol, but they went very quickly. Um we expected them to sell out faster in Saigon, but it was the other way around. They sold out really fast in Central and Hanoi. But I think that's more about where the Seven Bridges tap rooms are because the Saigon one is the most urban. So it's more like for after work drinks where people definitely do lean towards alcohol. The Saigon one is district one. So that's more like nighttime drinking. For me, the 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 reason why the the low and no alcohol works is what we were talking about before, that you're you're really buying a story and a brand and that authenticity. It it comes full circle with a, a big joke for me as I'm getting into craft beer. And we're all making fun of Zima that like, oh, yeah, that's what people who just don't even care about flavor drink. It's, it's this this fruity, hard soda thing that's mainstream mass produced. And this is craft beer. This is the opposite. And then 10 years later, come full circle, all the craft breweries are making hard sodas. And, right. and it's like, oh, see, like that was actually good. And it's no, it wasn't. Uh, it's mm -mm -mm. different. This is something with a story and a brand behind it. And I think people that don't drink alcohol still can be you know find enjoyment from that from buying like hey i like soda but that doesn't mean you have to drink coca-cola mm, exactly you, you could drink something that has a local distinct flavor put together by people who care about what you're doing spend your money supporting somebody who supports the land and the agriculture and knowing that where your money is going is somebody like someplace different yeah i think that's that's the cool part of it for me but the low and no alcohol is like you don't have to limit yourself to just doing this beer and then and then this isn't beer. It's like an artisanal soda is the same as an artisanal beer or cider. It's that same energy behind it. Yeah, that's right. They're not just meaningless add-ons to a brand. They're an experience. And that's what going to a tap room is about, like tasting things, trying new things. And maybe you don't want to drink on that day. Or maybe you want a break between beers. And it's still an experience rather than your average packaged soda that we've had around for years. Yeah, and I've, I've been hesitant to jump into the no alcohol just because of um, it just processing. Basically, it's if you're making something with alcohol, it's very different than something without as far as terms of, you know, pasteurization levels and stability and things like that. But the low alcohol, we've recently started doing some of those options and the amount of like drinking occasions for that is just mind blowing. to mm -mm. me. And we were thinking that maybe it's one or two, but we just see. You know, locals, expats, guys, girls, people that are new to beer, people that are like very into craft, into the scene. Everybody has a reason for wanting to consume something like that. And it's, it's really fun. I think it's a space to explore going forward. There's a lot of opportunity there. Exactly. When you want something non-alcoholic in a bar, it's really boring if it's just the same old three options. 
if you actually provide something exciting for those people, then in the early days, in the early days of craft beer in the United States, that was every single brew pub did that. They would have 10 beers and then the 11th tap handle was house-made root beer. Mm. Can we make a root beer? We can. It just destroys your, it destroys your draft system, basically. Okay, let's not once, do it. Once you put root beer on it, anything that you pour through that faucet is going to mm-hmm. taste like root beer forever. You have to like literally rip out the lines and start over. It would be a big commitment. But... It would be a huge commitment. Gotcha. Let's, let's not do that. So I love, I've barely had to look at my notes this episode because we've kind of organically gotten to a lot of, that wasn't a joke. We've got <laughs> organically, I wasn't, no pun intended, I promised. We've organically gotten to a lot of the subjects they wanted to cover. Um, there were a couple others, though, that I wanted to hit before we get to the uh, the closing segments. Mm-hmm. Hannah, just, you can take this question as seriously or, as, or not as you like, <laughs> but like, is there like a healthy competition between you and Hanoi Cider or is it more like a kinship? Like you guys are, because you guys both make cider and... You know, all, all these craft beer guys are doing beer, but we're the ciders. And like, so is it like, I don't know, what's what's your relationship with with uh, Hanoi Cider? So, I mean, business is always about competition, right? Right. And they could have picked a more creative name. It's just Saigon Cider <laughs> and then, oh, we're Hanoi Cider. Seems like, to be a on. trend for ciders now. <laughs> but sorry, go ahead. Our name was kind of by accident as well. We started as Peace, Love and Apples, which is our slogan. Yep. And the description was, well, what do I call it? Cider? Apple cider? No, I don't want to just stick to apple. So Saigon cider. And then people just called it that. So that's how we kind of stumbled upon our name. Right. And the two have switched. The tagline is now peace, love and apples. And I mean, that is a bit of a mouthful to order. Can I have a peace, love and apples, please? (laughs) Yeah. So we kind of stumbled on our name, but it has become somewhat of a trend in Mm. cider naming. I would Uh, say it's about the most common trope in naming a... A small producer. As long as you're not naming your brewery after a street. Then yeah, right. Familiar. Right. <laughs> I'm going to start Carl Metz Street Brewing Company when I make a bit. Oh, you should. Yeah. I would say pick almost any city in the United States with over 100,000 people and the name of that city brewing. Exactly. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So business has to be a competition. Yeah. But I'm sure it's the same in craft beer. The more of you that are, the more you can build that culture, build the identity of the 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 segment mm. together. So you'd like to see more and people making cider locally. It doesn't do any harm. I right. mean, it would help elevate the the product 100%. as a whole. Yeah. And then, you know, you don't see them so much in Saigon because they seem to be more of a restaurant business these days. What's the perception in Vietnam of cider as an alcoholic drink? Does everyone know that it's alcohol? Not everyone yet. Okay. Evidently. <laughs> Office yeah. workers as well. Oh, take yeah. It we, back right, we did. <laughs> after their lunch break, I'm I'm told... Office workers taking it back as uh, mass-produced cider after their lunch break and yeah. um, drinking it as they work in the afternoon. And then someone's saying, you know, you realize that's alcohol. No, it's not. It's it's like a it's a fermented fruit juice. Yeah. yeah. That's alcohol. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, going back to... Yeah. So it, it sounds like you're enjoying the very small amount of competition in, in <laughs> cider in Vietnam right now. There's four and and it's still fun, which for me, it just says that it's probably healthy competition. Mm. It's not like this race to the bottom where somebody's trying to push somebody else out and just push margin and profitability. It's mm. like competition in the space of um, getting new flavors out, trying to create something that's unique, have a great story behind it. And that just kind of it's like a it's a positive stress. Mm. It pushes you to do better. 
exactly. um, and, and kind of raises the quality of all of the cider in the whole country. So that, that's awesome to hear. It sounds like a recipe for success for a lot more cider getting to a lot more people. Yeah. We're just committed to doing cider the way that it's always been done, fermented juice, high quality ingredients. We don't ever add any sugar and we stick to that in our cider. And I would say so far, every cider brand that's come into the market has been really quite different. So it is a good thing. Yeah. So I don't I don't drink a ton of ciders, but being different, I think that's a great point because of the four that we talked about, they all have a very distinct flavor that's very different from each other. Like you wouldn't drink a you wouldn't drink a Delat cider and think like, oh, who's this from? And like it's they've got a uniformity of like with through their different ingredients and flavors, like they all taste like they came from the same place. Same with Hanoi cider. Like, you know, everyone's got all these different fruits, but everyone's like, that's Hanoi cider. Like, you know, you know what it tastes like. So Misha, you can tell the difference between the cideries with without any sort of like visual cue. You just get a glass, you can taste it and you can be like, this came from this place. I might be uh, giving myself a little bit too much credit on that, but I, I feel like Yes, they are all very distinct from each other. So my question is, Hannah, as a cider producer, can you do that with craft breweries in Vietnam? Do you feel like they have a distinct flavor when you taste this? You're like, oh, this is this place. There's so many of you now. It's so hard, <laughs> it's so hard to, I mean, to some extent, but now there's so many. There must be over 100 varieties of craft beer. I don't mean brands. I mean, actual Yeah. Yeah, but, but specifically, if you had a beer and it just had this flavor to it, you'd be like, oh, this is probably these guys. This is their so, style. So Local Fruits is more Pastor Street, I would say. But now, that, I mean, there's a lot of breweries doing that too. I don't think I'm expert enough to <laughs> identify. Fair. I, think, I do think it's easier with the cider brands. I mean, there's fewer of us. And yeah. I think when there's fewer of you, it's easier to be different. New beers coming into the craft beer market. There's not a lot that hasn't been done now in beer, whereas cider is a bit newer and there's still a number of things which haven't been done. Cool. And that kind of very organically leads us just the last thing I want to talk about. So it's come up. Obviously, you use uncommon ingredients to produce different flavors and different styles. At Pasture Street, that's kind of what we're known for as well. Could you guys talk to each other a little bit about how you go about choosing which flavors because obviously like so i i know like lychee for example a lot of our staff i'll like, oh, make a lychee beer and alex has always been very adamant that that's a flavor that just doesn't work in beer for these reasons so how do you guys figure out which flavors are going to work and which one's not and kind of which styles they go with well yeah lychee beer right um lychee has a great flavor but it basically just tastes like sugar with a little bit of flavor to it it's like similar to watermelon. So we do like a watermelon wheat ale. And if you want to add enough watermelon to actually taste the watermelon, it's a ridiculously large amount mm -hmm. of watermelon. And lychee would just be the same thing. And then, and yeah, so we haven't done one yet, but it would just be, um, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's mostly sugar and I'd rather go a different direction. And then there's always enough. We haven't run out of flavors yet, but we might eventually get there to where we would explore uh, the lychee beer. I think I have to now. I want to do a collaboration. Is that <laughs> okay. lychee cider? Okay. So for us, maybe it's a bit easier because the flavor is mainly coming from the, the apples, right? So predominantly we're apple-based. Then I didn't want to go too basic with the the flavors and do things like strawberry and 
Shots fired very, at anybody making strawberry cider. I don't, I don't actually <laughs> think there's anyone, but sorry if there is. But it's kind of like the first very commercial thing that comes to mind. So I wanted to steer clear of those and do something a little more um, unique, yeah. less mass market around the world. So that's how we landed on the spices. And I mean, we've done, we have done a lychee one in the past actually, but that was lychee and guava, not, not apple based. And I'd say it probably does work in cider. But I lent more towards the, the spices and keeping cider as an apple based product with, you know, spices to add a bit of a kick, mm-hmm. not doing something too, too mass and too obvious and always sticking to Vietnamese ingredients. Though that's a bit of a contradiction because the apples are from New Zealand right. because they don't grow here. I mean, they're not farmed here on any great extent. When I started, I was buying apples from the markets. I thought, oh, yeah, they're coming from Dalat. They're not. They don't grow in Dalat. There are some apples growing near the border with China. Okay. But if you need any quantity of apples, reliable supply of apples, they're coming from overseas. So that leaves near here. China or Australia and New Zealand, and we go with New Zealand where we can get certified organic. Same with beer. If you need right. certified organic hops, you go yeah. to New Zealand. But um, nearest to Vietnam, that was where we could find good organic apple supply. But then everything else we use is guided by it must be Vietnamese. Yeah, uh, the the ingredients too. I mean, that was um, that was our not that was our place why why would you be importing beer ingredients mm. and then brewing the beer and then exporting the beer it's just kind of like that that's what made what we're doing make sense for me is that this is something you can only do here if you don't have access to to the ingredients that we're using in the beers you can't make them and then other parts of the world it's like you can't get in they're not cost effective you can't find good quality things like that you know so just using what tastes like vietnam and really has a sense of place because it's something you could really only do here to the same quality that we're doing it. Exactly. That's what makes it interesting and fun as well, doing something that's contextual. Yeah. Yeah. Why make something in Vietnam that you can make anywhere else and not make it Vietnamese? Precisely. Yeah. We like to wrap up every podcast with a segment that I like to call Factor Fiction. 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 There's no prep for this. I'm going to make a few statements, and uh, you can answer fact or fiction. If there's like a funny story coming off the back, you can tell it, or you can just answer with one word. Fact or fiction. Okay. You excited? Ready. Fact or fiction, Hannah. Saigon Cider was the first craft beverage company in Vietnam. Fact, if you exclude beer hoi. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. Wow. Right, yeah. We could have a whole podcast about that. Okay. Beer hoi, whether in, or not in it's In the new craft. wave, yeah. yes. I'm going to agree with Hannah and say fact. And we'll, and we'll table the BOA conversation for another episode. Hannah, fact or fiction, cider is better than beer. Fact. Love if it. you're gluten intolerant. Fact or fiction, making cider is inherently more difficult than making beer. I've never made a beer. Okay. I can't answer that one. And Alex is adamant that he never wants to make a cider, so we're at loggerheads. <laughs> I said that? I think you've been pretty clear that you don't... I, for Pastor oh, Street, for I think Pastor you've been pretty Street. clear that you don't want to make a, make a cider. You'd rather make a beer that... Like hits those same sweet spots that a cider would. That that has the um, the flavors that people are looking for, and exactly. I think there's a lot of room to explore in beer. Yeah, so 100%. absolutely. Hannah, fact or fiction? Maceration is the most important stage of making cider. Fiction. Okay, I just looked up how to make cider on the internet, and that was one of the the verbs that I found. 
fermentation mm-hmm. would be. Maceration, fermentation, that makes sense. And last one, Hannah, fact or fiction, the craft beverage industry in Vietnam is still in its infancy. Fact? <laughs> going to go with fact. That's what I think, but I thought maybe we could have a... There's a lot of room for growth. Exactly. As Vietnam is rising meteorically. Exactly. So more and more people are going to come here, more and more jobs, more and more commerce, Precisely. more and more... More, more craft beers and ciders. That's the hope. Love it. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. So that was Beer Stories. Our producer is Neil Mackay of 7 Million Bikes Podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Lewis Wright. Thanks, Alex. As always. Yeah, thanks, Misha. And thanks, Anna. It's been an awesome conversation. Thanks, Anna. Yeah, thanks, Anna. You were, were you nervous for this? No. Of course not. Cold as ice. And thank you for listening. hope you enjoyed this episode if you're like me you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public wi-fi this opens you up to digital snoopers it's a massive problem it can be your internet service provider or you know who looking at what you do online or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data these days it is vital that you keep your data safe NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.